on this episode of the Alt Normal. Normal. Social sex on Make Love Not Porn is enormously reassuring because we celebrate real world everything. Real world bodies, real world hair, real world penis size, real world breast size. And the reason that's important is because you can talk body positivity all you like. Nothing makes you feel great about your own body. Like watching people who are nobody's idea of aspirational body types getting turned on by each other. Another coronavirus vaccine has shown to be highly effective. Welcome to the Alt Normal, an exploration of the diverse voices on planet Earth. Joe Biden will become president of the United States. Doing the critical work of rebuilding a healthier, more sustainable alternative future. At the intersection of self, community, and the planet. We live in uncertain times. Powerful moment of revolution. How we choose to steer the path will determine what kind of alt-normal we consciously remake together. Everyone has a part to play. Let's rise. Shift and support this exciting new reality in the making. The alt-normal. Hi, I'm Tiffany Wen, the host of The Alt-Normal. This is a show that centers embodied integration as the absolutely critical force for rebuilding this post-pandemic world that's ever more sustainable, diverse, and inclusive. Culture needs a rebrand that goes deep at the core of who we are in the integration of our rich diversity, complexity, and emerging alternative paradigms. Let's be real. We are in a crisis of consciousness realizing that the only way to change things out there is to first change things in here. The power structures and institutions can only take us so far. To see a world that's diverse and inclusive for all actually requires us to change from the inside out, shifting into actionable models of power with one another versus power over one another. Now more than ever, we need a new story for humanity that leans into the diversity of who we are and our emerging zones of genius to live more truthfully in how we relate to ourselves, our community, and the planet. So let's pick up those forgotten pieces of ourselves to rebrand our story of humanity from one of separation to one of integration. We're talking integration of the mind with the body, the scientific with the spiritual, strategy with emergence, and the individual with the collective. This show is produced by Resonance, the creative practice of Dig, Seed, Grow, a methodology that powers our core capabilities in branding and content creation. Our mission is to design resonance between brands and their most valuable audience to drive the greatest possible impact. After 20 plus years of working in New York City and Milan for Fortune 500 companies in marketing and advertising, we decided to take the big leap and make a fundamental shift in how we work and bring brand stories to life. The Alt Normal is recorded at Destination Outpost, a co-living and co-working community based out in Bali. They have amazing spaces located in Ubud and Chenggu, that enable people to live and work from paradise, encouraging people to live differently so they can work from beautiful destinations and build strong connections with others on a similar path through life. I am so excited to introduce our guest today, Cindy Gallup. So while Cindy needs no introduction, as she's graced many a stage, uh, she is a graduate of Somerville College, Oxford, and has a background in over 30 years in brand building, marketing, and advertising. She started up the U.S. office ad agency, Bartle Bogle Hegarty, in New York in 1998. And in 2003, she was named Advertising Woman of the Year. She's the founder and CEO of If We Ran the World, co-action software launched in beta at TED 2010, and subsequently written up and taught as a Harvard Business School case study. 
which enables brands to implement the business model of the future, shared values plus shared action equals shared profit financially and socially. She is also the founder of Make Love Not Porn, whose tagline is pro-sex, pro-porn, pro-knowing the difference, a social sex tech platform designed to promote good sexual behavior and good sexual values, which she launched at TED in 2009 and for which she has just raised $2 million to build out MLNP.TV as the social sex revolution. Oh my goodness, Cindy, it is such a delight to have you on our show today. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm delighted to be here. So to start us off, I just wanted to state something. Um, I see you as one of the more diverse humans embodying diversity on this planet, and not just for your multicultural identity, but also for the various disciplines and passion points that you weave through and thread um, and that have informed your very colorful career and life. And so maybe to start us off, can you tell us a little bit about your multicultural identity and then how you grew up? learning about human sexuality? Sure. So to answer the first part of that question, um, uh, I'm half English and half Chinese. Um, my father was English. My mother is Malaysian Chinese from a little village called Changlun um, near Alastar in Kedah. Um, I was born in the UK. But when I was six, um, we moved to Brunei in Borneo. And so I grew up in Brunei um, and traveled a lot around Asia. Um, and subsequently, I went back to the UK for school and university, uh, worked in London for a number of years, but then came out to Singapore in 1996 to help start and run the Asia Pacific office for BBH. And so while I was based in Singapore, I was running business across the region, traveling to you know every part of Asia, um, and then moved to New York in 1998 to start up um, BBH New York. And so you know, I consider myself very much a global citizen, um, and I bring a global perspective to everything I do. And um, to the part of your question about um, what I grew up learning about human sexuality, absolutely nothing. My parents never talked about sex. So that played absolutely no part in my upbringing whatsoever. Mm. And in school, was there any education in school around sexuality that you can recall? Oh, oh my God, absolutely not. I went to school in Brunei. It's a Muslim state. <laughs> so no, absolutely not. No. Well, that's a very familiar story. And as a Chinese American myself, I also, I did have a talk, but it was so awkward that I think I selectively kept it out of my memory. Um, but I like to air it and talk about it, especially given what you're doing now. So um, before jumping into Make Love Not Porn, I'd love to highlight the worlds that I feel like you've bridged over the course of your career, um, from everything from theater to advertising to sex tech to human sexuality to diversity. And I know that you've been talking about diversity for a very long time. Um, and so you've kind of pioneered a lot of these topics ahead of culture. And so through it all, your intention is very clear. And to paraphrase some words on your website, you like to blow shit up and you like to bend reality. And there's so much more. But essentially, you spent 30 years in advertising um, at some of the most creative agencies, like you mentioned, um, essentially moving heads and hearts, right, to help people um, essentially connect with big visions and, and big brands. And so in an interview with BBH, you talk about the need for the advertising industry to, quote, reimagine aspiration, end quote. And so from where you sit now, and the way that you see the industry because you were in it for so long. Can you tell us what you meant by that and how you would reimagine aspiration? Sure. Um, so, you know, the advertising industry historically um, has been the driving force behind creating an, a culture of aspiration that historically has been materialistic. And so advertising historically has made us want to buy things. You know, whether those be cars or jewelry or 
homes or fur coats. Um, and um, it's, it's been historically predicated very much on presenting the purchase of things as status symbols and markers of having arrived, having made it. And what I've been urging my industry to do for many years is to really change the world by completely changing the things that we present as aspirational, because that is the way in which advertising can help transform society. So um, the, the kind of things I mean are, for example, um, advertising historically has dealt very much in stereotypes. And, and, and there's a very practical reason for that, because stereotypes are very useful shorthand. When you have only 30 seconds to make a point, you know, using a stereotype to tell a story is very time efficient. So advertising over the years has unfortunately perpetuated um, a stereotype that in a straight couple, the man is the strong, confident breadwinner and the woman is the warm, nurturing, caring homemaker. And so what I've been urging our industry to do for literally decades is I've said, you know, I want to see us celebrate as aspirational the relationship role model of today, which is a partnership of equals. And by the way, this applies to, you know, whether you're a straight couple or same-sex couple. The fact of the matter is that, you know, today, both halves of the couple work because you have to, because of the economy in every country in the world. And that requires um, new forms of negotiation as to who does the housework, who does the childcare, what happens in a straight couple when the woman earns more than the man? What happens in a straight couple when the woman has a job and the man doesn't? And, you know, we have the opportunity to celebrate different kinds of partnerships where, you know, I mean, you, you know, we now have a shining example here in the US, which is Kamala Harris is the new vice president and her husband, Doug Emhoff, is the second gentleman, and he has absolutely put her career path ahead of his. You know, he has given up work. He is now supporting her. Um, he's very happy to take second place, you know, and we, we can actually drive so much societal transformation when we celebrate the men who choose to do that, because there are absolutely today men who choose to be house husbands, who support their wives, but they are looked down on by other men and, and often by other women, unfortunately. And so we can reinvent aspirational culture by making a partnership of equals um, a gender-flipped equation where the man supports the woman instead of the other way around, aspirational. Wow. And what a timely moment to be talking about this too. So do you feel like at this moment in 2021, the industry actually has the capacity to really reimagine what you've just described in the way that humanity would really find it most valuable and useful? Do you think that it's already happening? Um, no, of course it's not, because the industry is dominated by white men. That it is. So, okay, let's put a pause on that for now. And I'd love to shift into Make Love Not Porn. So eventually you left the advertising industry to do something completely different, which was to start this social sex revolution. Uh, well, 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 no, um, just to be clear, um, Tiffany, I did not leave the industry to do that. Um, I left the industry to work myself, but everything in my life and careers happened by accident and Make Love Not Porn was a complete accident. I never consciously intentionally set out to do what I very strangely find myself doing now. Well, actually, maybe we can just start there then. What was the reason that you were called to found this incredibly innovative um, platform? Sure. So, so as the saying goes, the path appears. And my path appeared very unexpectedly. So um, Make Love Not Porn came about through my direct personal experience dating younger men. And I should just explain for the benefit of our listeners that I am somebody who has never wanted married. I have never wanted children. I adore being single. I cannot wait to die alone. I date younger men for sex. 
And I'm deliberately very public about all of this because we don't have enough role models for both women and for men in our society that demonstrate you can live your life very differently to the way that society expects you to and still be quite extraordinarily happy. So um, uh, I, I, I began realizing, and, and this is 13, 14 years ago now, um, through dating younger men that I was encountering what happens when two things converge. And I stress the dual convergence because most people think it's only one thing. I realized that I was experiencing what happens when today's total freedom of access to hardcore porn online meets our society's equally total reluctance to talk openly and honestly about sex. When those two things converge, porn becomes sex education by default in not a good way. So I found myself encountering a number of sexual behavioral memes in bed. I went, whoa, I don't know where that behavior is coming from. I thought, gosh, if I'm experiencing this, other people must be as well. I didn't know that because 13, 14 years ago, nobody was talking about this. Nobody was writing about it. This was me in isolation as a naturally action-oriented person going, I want to do something about this. So um, 12 years ago, I put up a no money, a tiny clunky website at makelovenotporn.com that in its original iteration was just words. The construct was porn world versus real world. Here's what happens in the porn world. Here's what really happens in the real world. I launched at TED in 2009. I became the only TED speaker to say the words come on my face on the TED stage six times in succession. The talk went viral as a result. And it drove this extraordinary global response to my tiny website that I had never anticipated. And I realized I'd uncovered a huge global social issue. Thousands of people wrote to me from every country in the world, young and old, men and female, straight and gay, pouring their hearts out. And so I felt that I now had a personal responsibility. I had to take Make Love Not Porn forwards in a way that would make it much more far-reaching, helpful, and effective. And I also saw an opportunity to do what I believe in very strongly, which is that the future of business is doing good and making money simultaneously. And so I saw the opportunity for a big business solution to this huge untapped global need. And I use the word big advisedly because even then, 12 years ago at concept stage, I knew if I wanted to counter the global impact of porn as default sex ed, I would have to come up with something that at least had the potential one day to be just as mass, just as mainstream, and just as all-pervasive in our society as porn currently is. So thinking big right from the get-go. And so what I decided to do was, um, I, I always emphasize that make love not porn is not anti-porn because the issue isn't porn. The issue is that we don't talk about sex in the real world. If we did, amongst a whole host of other benefits, people would then be able to bring a real world mindset to the viewing of what is simply performative produced entertainment. So our tagline at Make Love Not Porn is, as you've said, pro-sex, pro-porn, pro-knowing the difference. Our mission is one thing only. We exist to help make it easier for everybody in the world to talk openly and honestly about sex. And so what I turned Make Love Not Porn into is makelovenotporn.tv, which is the world's first and only user-generated, human-curated, social sex video sharing platform. We are pioneering this whole new category that's never before existed, social sex. We are what Facebook would be if Facebook allowed you to socially, sexually self-express. We are socializing and normalizing sex in the real world to make it easier to talk about, to promote consent, communication, good sexual values, and good sexual behavior. We call ourselves the social sex revolution. The revolutionary part is not the sex, it's the social. Wow, it's a whole new language. And it's, it's beautiful to hear you say it again. I've heard you say it in other talks. Um, but every time it just feels like, yes, 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 this is what we need. And, you know, you, you, you talked about really a problem that Make Love Not Porn was trying to solve. What do you think everyday people nowadays are most drawn to about Make Love Not Porn when they get there too? Like, 
what are they most surprised to find out? I'm just so curious about that user experience of people coming for a certain reason and maybe they get it or maybe they find something else that they weren't expecting and that changes some kind of behavior. So um, as an utterly unique venture, Make Love Not Porn has an utterly unique capability. We have the power to change people's sexual attitudes and behavior for the better in a way that nothing else does. So um, first of all, um, ever since we launched, we have had a universally positive response from every single country in the world. Our only obstacles have been business and financial ones. And, and our audience should know that I and my tiny team fight an enormous battle every single day to build this business, essentially because every piece of business infrastructure other tech startups take for granted. We can't. The small print always says no adult content. Um, and we have tremendous trouble finding investors and funding, which is very ironic because, um, first of all, um, to answer your question, um, people already want us without knowing that we exist. So um, because we have no funding to be able to do paid for marketing and promotion, our growth for the past nine years has been entirely organic. It's been driven by two things, media coverage and search. The one benefit of being a controversial venture is that we get ongoing media coverage all around the world without doing one single bit of PR or media outreach, which is good because we can't afford to. Um, every time anybody writes about us in any country in the world, no matter how tiny that country is, that country instantly rockets to be number two in traffic behind the US. And the US is normally our biggest source of traffic. Um, and if that country is large, then it overtakes the US as number one. So, um, you know, a few years ago, somebody wrote about us in Serbia. Serbia is tiny, number two in traffic after the US. That summer, someone wrote about us in Switzerland, also minuscule, number two in traffic. Um, in May of last year, somebody wrote about us in one of the biggest newspapers in South Korea. I woke up to South Korea as our number one source of traffic, accounting for 56% of all our traffic. That is how much, when people find out about us, they want us. If porn is the Hollywood blockbuster movie, we are the real world documentary. We are a unique window into the way that all of us have sex in the real world, and people are desperate for that. Another indicator of um, the, the, the size of the opportunity and why investors should be funding us is that every day, people search for us all around the world without knowing that we exist. So the top search terms that drive people to us are make love, not porn, Real sex, not porn. Make love, not porn, because it's what people want. They have no idea that there is a venture out there with that name. One young man told me that he found us when he Googled porn that is not porn. Because he was fed up with all the porn out there. He wanted something different. He had no idea how to search for it. And when you Google porn that is not porn, you find make love, not porn. So people want us without even knowing that there is a service that delivers um, what they want. Then when they find us, they are just blown away because porn is purely and simply masturbation material. That's its role. We are not just that. We are that too, by the way, extremely happy to be that, obviously, but we are many more socially beneficial things on top of that. So for example, Social sex on Make Love Not Porn is enormously reassuring because we celebrate real world everything. Real world bodies, real world hair, real world penis size, real world breast size. And the reason that's important is because you can talk body positivity all you like. You can preach self-love. Nothing makes you feel great about your own body like watching people who are nobody's idea of aspirational body types getting turned on by each other, desiring each other, having an amazing time in bed. Our mantra is everybody is beautiful when they're having real world sex, and they really are. Our members write to us and say, you made me feel so much better about my own body. You know, seeing people with real world bodies loving each other. You know, they write and say, 
you know, a man wrote instead, my girlfriend and I now feel able to be more open and sensuous with each other because we feel more relaxed in terms of who we are. Um, you know, we also, very importantly, we celebrate real world emotion, love, intimacy, feelings, those radiate through the screen. You know, one man wrote to us and said, to the Make Love Not Porn Stars, and that's what we call our contributors, our Make Love Not Porn Stars. He said, the sex in that video was incidental. I want what you guys have. I saw the way you looked, Charlotte. I saw the way your eyes met. I hope one day I can meet somebody I will have that with. We get very, very moving emails. And that's important because, you know, um, in the popular culture all around us, in movies and television and videos, we see endless stories and narratives that play out about relationships, but we do not see the sex. At Make Love Not Porn, you see the sex, but you also see the relationships. Because in our videos, the relationships are inextricable from the sex. And so when you are watching real world people having the sex they have in the real world for real, you are watching relationship dynamics play out. And so you will see in our members' comments on the videos, you know, our members have an enormous respect um, and appreciation for our Make Love Not Porn stars. They, they will thank our Make Love Not Porn stars for sharing this most intimate part of their lives. They will say things like, you know, I love the respect you showed each other. I love the way you kept checking in on each other, making sure you were both okay with everything that was going on. You know, our, our Make Love Not Porn stars are modeling aspirational culture when it comes to good sexual values and good sexual behavior. We are literally education through demonstration. And that's important because, you know, I designed Make Love Not Porn as a video sharing platform because the number one use case for YouTube globally is how-to videos. It far outstrips their second biggest use case, which is entertainment. First and foremost, people go to YouTube all around the world to watch how-to videos on how to do anything and everything. I designed Make Love Not Porn to be the go-to global hub for how-to videos on anything and everything to do with real-world sex. We are education through demonstration. We are education through entertainment. We are role modeling and demonstrating aspirational models of how to behave in bed. That's wonderful. And you've mentioned this before, that the average age of a child coming across hardcore porn, so not real sex, is something atrocious, like eight or six years old. Um, and when I learned about that, it just, it really struck me. I didn't realize that the age was that young. And so since we're in this um, field of reimagination, if you could reimagine the entire experience of a young adult or a six-year-old engaging with sexuality in the healthiest and potentially most liberating way so they can grow up to have positive and strong sexual values and sexual behavior like you mentioned earlier, what do you think that could look like and how could Make Love Not Porn fit into that journey or that experience? So um, I'm going to answer that question in reverse. First of all, um, you know, um, as I said, our superpower is that at Make Love Not Porn, we have the ability to change people's sexual attitudes and behavior for the better. So parents or members of our community tell us that being members of Make Love Not Porn, where we are socializing and normalizing sex in the real world, bringing the sunlight to all of this, bringing it all out in the open, they tell us that being members of our community made them feel able to be more open about sex with their children to bring their children up in the right way around sex and sexuality. Um, parents also tell us that they are buying subscriptions to Make Love Not Porn for their teenage children and their 20-something children because they want them to see what happy, healthy, loving, real-world sexual relationships look like. So we are a very powerful influence. Um, now, um, what is inhibiting all of this? is the absolutely appalling gender bias that operates on every social media platform out there. And this is because the giant social media platforms that dominate our lives today were all founded by men. 
and specifically with the ones that come out of Silicon Valley white men. So Facebook, Instagram, Reddit, um, every social platform bans advertising and promotion and marketing of anything to do with sex. But it only bans anything to do with sex in a female sexual health and wellness context. Because Facebook and Instagram et al. ban advertising for any um, female-founded menstruation-related business. They ban advertising for menopause-related business. They ban advertising for fertility-related business. Meanwhile, they welcome advertising for male sexual health and wellness, which is why you will see erectile dysfunction solutions being advertised all over the internet. And the same thing applies in traditional media platforms. The reason that's a huge problem is because our vision of healthy approaches to sex education, by the way, um, all my sex education friends are banned from advertising on Facebook and Instagram as well. Um, our female lens on sex education, sexual health and wellness um, is completely banned from being able to promote how we address all of this on any social platform. And, you know, I'll give you one example of how harmful this is. I was doing a podcast interview with a wonderful sex therapist, Suzanne Dunn, because sex therapists recommend make love not porn to their clients as a resource. And Suzanne tries to advertise her services and the things that she wants to promote on Facebook and Instagram, and she can't. Her ads are blocked and, and not accepted. Um, because she was trying to create an ad around the fact that, you know, part of how you absolutely bring your children up to have a healthy natural attitude towards um, their sexuality is, um, she gave the example of how she recommends to parents from, you know, before your child can even speak, before your child is even sentient, when you are changing your baby's diaper, if they are playing with their genitals, don't do that classic thing parents do, which is back their hands away and go, no, 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 naughty, naughty, don't do that. It's entirely natural for them to want to play with their genitals. Instead go, you know, that's nice, darling. That feels good, doesn't it? Now, just move your hands so I can get this on you. You know, I mean, it's so commonsensical but she is not allowed to put that point of view out there. And so that is what is inhibiting um, our ability to impact this in any way whatsoever. Wow. I did not know that. That's terrifying. It's so natural. It doesn't make any sense. You're right. The nonsensical um, really comes through. So, um, so the thing that, you know, make love not porn has three barriers to growth and scaling to be the global Facebook of social sex, which is where I want to take it. Um, number one is lack of access to capital, to funding. Number two is lack of access to infrastructure. And number three is lack of access to advertising. Solving number one solves two and three. You'd be amazed how quickly those advertising barriers will fall when I can write a big enough check. And the infrastructure issues are solved when I can write a big enough check to find the people willing to work with me accordingly. So the one thing we all need is funding and investors who understand the world will be a far better place when we are enabled to bring our lens to bear on human sexuality and human sexual experience. Right. And it's it's wonderful that you are touching the cultural aspect of this and also the technical limitations of this because it does take a, a big culture upheaval to really move the needle in this direction for human sexuality to really take its rightful place in human beings. And um, maybe this would be a good moment to shift into sex tech because you wrote the coming out article to define what this word is. And I just want to, for our listeners who don't really know much about this, just to pull out an excerpt from your article, which is number one when you Google sex tech, quote, no other area of human existence is hedged around with so much shame, embarrassment, 
guilt and self-torment. How fundamentally important sexuality is to us, combined with how fundamentally conflicted we are about it, makes it the richest possible territory for advances and breakthroughs using technology to disrupt and enhance our experience of sex, end quote. And maybe just to give us a little bit of a taste of how this word has evolved since you wrote that piece and what you've seen in terms of changes in the industry, can you walk us through, right, when you wrote that, what was sex tech like and how has it evolved, especially in 2020, 2021? Uh, Well, what we're talking about is a demonstration of um, what I advise other entrepreneurs to do and I do myself, which is when you have a truly world-changing startup, you have to change the world to fit it, not the other way around. And so I deliberately, seven years ago now, set out to define a pioneer and champion my own category sex tech in order to legitimize it as a category, in order to create a climate of receptivity amongst investors. And I'm happy to say that all of my and other sex tech founders' efforts have absolutely borne fruit. Because when you Google sex tech today, you will see many references to it, research studies on it. We are now a legitimate technology category. We are still massively underfunded, given that sex tech has the potential to be the next trillion dollar category in tech, something I've been saying for years. But but we have now made sex tech a legitimate and accepted category. Congratulations. That's no easy or small feat. And your, your sex tech fund is called All the Sky Holdings. So I would love for you to tell us about the origin of that name and what is the story that you're essentially trying to change in the sex tech space? What was the old story? What's the new story of All the Sky Holdings? Um, well, there was no old story because there was, there was no um, there was no legitimate sex tech category before I, I set out to, to, to make that happen. Um, and, you know, to, um, I'm extremely frank about the fact that All the Sky was an act of desperation, a last resort. I was trying to raise just $2 million to scale Make Love Not Porn and nobody would fund me. My biggest obstacle finding investors is the social dynamic that I call fear of what other people will think, which operates around sex, unlike any other area. And my enormous frustration is that I know my investors are out there, but they are impossible to find by the usual means. Because the thing that will make an investor want to fund Make Love Not Porn is entirely a function as an investor of your personal sexual journey. It's your personal lens on sex and sexuality driven by your personal experience that determines whether you get it and see our potential. And there is no way to research for that. Sex is the one area where you cannot tell from the outside what anybody thinks on the inside. The people you think would totally get it don't. The people you thought were total prudes do. And so um, I was having so much difficulty raising just $2 million that I went, you know, in order to get my own startup funded, I'm going to have to get the entire category funded. And in a seemingly counterintuitive move, because I could not raise $2 million to scale Make Love Not Porn, I decided to raise $200 million to start the world's first and only sex tech fund. Because if nobody else would, then I would. And obviously I haven't the faintest idea how to start a run a fund. And so um, I, again, did what I tell other entrepreneurs to do. I made it real. I gave my fund a name, bought URL, registered the company. And I named my fund arise from a quote by Chairman Mao, who famously said that many, uh, many years ago in the interest of gender equality, women hold up half the sky. I think that's unambitious. And so my sex tech fund is called All the Sky Holdings. And the derivation is deliberate because if I can ever raise this money, because um, I've had to park um, All the Sky to focus on Make Love Not Porn, but if I can raise a serious round of funding for Make Love Not Porn, this coming year, I want to go back and raise that fund. Um, but I have a dual investment thesis. A, I want to fund radically innovative female-founded startups, and B, I want to fund the infrastructure of sex tech in order to make sex tech an extra dollar category in tech. That's wonderful. And in 2019, um, at a TechCrunch conference alongside Cyan Bannister and Laura Haddock, you spoke about this thing called LOMO 
or love of missing out, which, I mean, you can probably describe it better, but you essentially said it's when investors intentionally look the other way when it comes to free-flowing money and opportunity to be had. And you've just named how in your dream scenario for this trillion-dollar industry, you want to focus on uh, female-founded startups and companies. So what is the root cause you feel like of LOMO or love of missing out? And what is the opportunity to be had from that? Um, I mean, it, it is what I said. And my obstacle is fear of what other people will think. And that's very short-sighted of those fear of investors. The opportunity belongs to the investors I've just described, who, because of their personal sexual journey, get it. Because they are the ones who have the opportunity to fund the next trillion dollar category in tech and reap the enormous rewards. So when we talk about technology, um, I always like to also shed light on the shadow side or the potential implications or consequences. And just for devil's advocate's sake, I would love to ask you if you feel like all sex tech products are created equal. Do you feel like there is a shadow side of having certain sex tech products out there that potentially, I don't know, are so damn pleasurable or so um, innovative in the way they help us to um, engage our sexuality that it somehow has a negative consequence on uh, sexuality between humans versus humans and technology? No, I mean, we haven't even begun to see what sex tech could be because nobody's even begun to fund it. Um, when, when, um, When you utter the word sex tech today, um, people's very limited understanding of it goes to two things, sex toys, sex robots. Um, I have a vision of sex tech that nobody else has, um, but I need funding to achieve it. And unfortunately, until I raise that funding, until I'm funded to achieve it, I'm not able to put the extraordinary applications of sex tech that I envision out into the world. Um, we haven't even begun to see how much this category can enormously benefit humanity. Mm. And since we're on the topic of uh, sex tech innovation, can you name just a few of your favorite uh, companies or startups out there so far? And what do you love so much about them? Sure. And, and you know, to, um, again, because I'm assuming that our listeners may not be that familiar with sex tech, um, I think it's worth just highlighting that, um, you, you know, to, um, in a male-dominated tech world, um, where equally the tech media is male-dominated, any coverage that you see of sex tech tends to default to the side that is very easy for male writers to geek out on, which is the hardware, which is why it's all sex robots, teledildonics, VR porn. It's a lot more uncomfortable to cover the side of sex tech that I and many female founders operate on, which is the software. So all of the focus and the promotion and the awareness goes to that side of sex tech that is about driving us further and further apart into our own little virtual worlds versus focusing on the side of sex tech that I and other female founders operate in, which is sex tech designed to bring us closer together in the real world. So, you know, I would highlight um, in terms of who I believe is really on the cutting edge of sex tech innovation, the wonderful Glenice Kennard Moore, who is a black lesbian female founder based in Atlanta, um, whose startup is called VDOM. It is a phenomenal cutting-edge breakthrough in um, <clears throat> in, in prosthetics. Um, it's a um, strap-on um, uh, prosthetic, which is basically designed for anybody who needs addressing. Um, you know, to, um, in uh, in their sex lives, an area of non-delivery or dysfunction, whatever that may be. I mean, in the case of Lenise, again, it came from her personal experience. She wanted to be able to make love to her wife in a way that was really satisfying for both of them. And so the VDOM is a very innovative way of enabling that. But, but it's also fantastic for disabled people, you know, for, um, you know, men suffering from erectile dysfunction. You know, there are so many applications of it. And so I encourage our listeners to check out the VDOM. And then um, uh, another wonderful um, company is Awkward Essentials, founded by the amazing Frances Tang, who is an Asian-American female founder. 
And this, again, is a venture that only a woman would have come up with. Um, Orchid Essentials' first product is the dripstick. And this is basically a patented um, uh, soft um, foam on a stick that enables you to solve the problem of what to do when the man has come inside you and you have a choice of whether to drip all over the bed sheets, crab walk to the loo. Instead, you keep the dripstick on your bedside table. You just shove it inside. You twirl it around. Done. You're good. You can lie there, cuddle, chat, or whatever. So check out check out awkward essentials and the dripstick. Um, those are, you know, two phenomenal women with two phenomenal sex stick products. Um, and 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 um, and another one, by the way, is is the fantastic Suzanne Sinatra. She's another black female founder. Um, who, um, again, driven by personal experience, all of these are, um, her company is called Private Pants. And, um, and these are gel pants for your vulva that can be heated up or cooled that are, are, are there to address um, pain, um, vaginal pain, you know, whether it's post-childbirth, whether it's groin strain, whether it's, you know, period pains. Again, only a woman would have had this idea. Brilliant. And I will check those out and maybe we'll highlight those in the show notes so people can really read up and maybe purchase or just understand how sex tech can be reimagined with the female perspective, which I love. And just to understand this um, industry and how it's been impacted this past year with the pandemic, um, do you think that the pandemic has helped move the needle in any way around the innovation in this space enough to convince people at the core that there's actually money to be made out of socially normalized sex because we've been locked down, because behavior and culture has changed so dramatically? How have you seen that play out? The pandemic has changed everything. And one of, the, one of the things it's done is it has really shifted the way we think about um, love and sex and relationships. Because the pandemic, the pandemic has proven that what people have been saying for many years is not true. For years, people have been going, the future's digital. It's all about VR, AR. The pandemic has proven that the thing we are all most desperate for on the other side of this is IRL human touch, connection, intimacy, love, sex. And so absolutely, I mean, Make Love Not Porn is not just a pandemic-proof venture. We are a pandemic fuel venture. Our video submission rate has tripled in, in, in the course of the pandemic. People are in lockdown, plenty more time to you know, submit social sex videos. And by the way, for our listeners, we have a revenue sharing business model. Um, our members pay to subscribe, rent and stream social sex videos that make love not porn. We give our make love not porn stars 50% of that revenue. And what is wonderful is that like everyone else in the pandemic, our make love not porn stars have lost jobs, can't find work. They tell us that our monthly payouts are helping them make it through the pandemic. So we are improving people's sex lives. We are sex help, self-help for your sex life. And we are also um, absolutely doing what I designed our revenue sharing model to do, which is democratizing access to income and helping people get through very challenging financial times. That's the definition of a socially beneficial business that does good and makes money simultaneously. That's wonderful. Congratulations on the triple surge. Um, that doesn't surprise me, but I did want to clarify that with you. And so as we shift now, I'd like to touch a bit more on diversity and innovation in the sex tech space. So you've been championing the, the need for more diverse voices, perspectives, identities um, in the creative industry for a long time now. And so I would love for you to tell us about um, your thoughts on the potential for having more diverse uh, voices within the sex tech space. Are we there yet? How far along do we need to go? Where are we? Um, oh, um, there are many diverse voices in the sex tech space. I just cited to you two ventures founded by Black women and one by an Asian American woman. So know that, that there's a ton of diversity in sex tech. Um, the issue is simply that none of us can get funded. Ah, so this seems to be the biggest limitation here. Um, I do want to kind of get into it a little bit. Um, how or what what do you feel like is, I guess, the question that 
you would like to ask your dream investor um, if you were to have that meeting and, you know, pitch Make Love Not Porn and bring all these other women that you just cited into the room with you, what would be, I guess, um, yeah, the message you would send or the questions you would raise to really help shift the mindset or shift the culture as it is? Um, With my kind of investor, I don't have to do that. Um, As I said to you earlier, um, any other startup founder can do their research and target when they're looking for investors. Other startups can go, oh, so-and-so has publicly said they want to fund my sector, you know, clean tech, whatever it is. So-and-so has a publicly viewable portfolio investments that, um, you know, indicate very clearly that their interests are aligned with what I'm doing. Nobody is out there going, bring me sex tech. And so what I do is I put what I'm doing out there all the time, because as I said earlier, my kind of investor um, is actually out there, but, you know, their willingness to invest is a function of their personal sexual journey. And I cannot research and identify that person by the outward show. And so I put what I'm doing out there all the time because I have to line those synaptic connections being made that will draw those people to me. And that does work every so often. And so when I am talking to someone who's reached out to me, I know that they are open to what Make Love Not Porn is about because of their personal lens on sex and sexuality. Um, You know, again, I say to founders all the time, never waste your time banging your head against closed doors. Engineer yourself into a position where doors open automatically as you approach. Um, I think it's a very good thing that I have a self-selecting startup when it comes to investors. Because when you're an entrepreneur, none of us need any more thoroughly depressing meetings than we absolutely have to have. I have female founder friends with conventional startups who've been rejected 300 times. I don't know how they do it. You know, thank God, you know, I know that when I meet with someone, they really want to meet with me because they get make love, not porn at some level. I mean, you know, they may not invest, they may choose not to, but I know they're there because they get it and they're interested and they want to hear more. Right. And you're kind of, um, I guess, puppeteering the make love, not porn growth, as well as all the Sky Holdings, which is going to essentially fund, you know, your business, but also all the other businesses that you want to pioneer. if, um, if, if I'm ever able to, I have to get Make Love Not Porn funded first. I have to be able to hire a full-time team. There are only four of us working on Make Love Not Porn. We outsource tech development. You know, I need to be able to um, bring a full team in-house. And then when I have Make Love Not Porn even keel, I want to go back and raise um, all the sky. Okay. And also you spoke a little bit about, you know, for all the sky, how you would want to change the digital infrastructure that is currently in place and currently lacking in so many ways around payment. You've talked about around advertising because of all the small clauses and terms and conditions, and the list goes on. Um, If you could just say in your dream, you know, five years, 10 years from now, hopefully sooner, what would be the actual elements of your digital infrastructure that you would want to transform with the funding that you would have for All the Sky? Um, It would be there. Um, Every business obstacle I encounter is a huge disruptive business opportunity in itself. The first payment process that embraces legal, ethical, transparent sex adventures like mine cleans up. The first hosting provider, the first e-commerce platform, I want to fund that ecosystem, um, A, to create a self-sustaining portfolio for all the sky, B, to be a bloody huge revenue generator because every sex tech venture all around the world needs this, as does the entire adult industry, and C, to monopolistically build out and own the entire underlying ecosystem to make sex tech the next trillion dollar Catherine tech. If investors will put money into my fund and they'll be able to do that, I will build that and Make Love Not Porn will be able to become the billion-dollar venture I designed it to be. So as we envision, um, can you complete the sentence for me, Cindy? If I ran the world, I would... Obviously, if I ran the world, I would raise a $200 million sex tech fund that would fund Make Love Not Porn and every other female-founded sex tech venture to completely change the future of humanity when it comes to sex for the better. (sighs) So clear, putting it out there. And 
what what trends or breakthroughs do you see happening in the sex tech space in this upcoming year? I know we talked kind of big picture, but this upcoming year, what do you feel like is on the cusp of potentially converting into, I don't know, some of these breakthroughs that you were mentioning before? Whatever each of us makes happen. Because that question should never, ever be asked in the passive tense. I get asked all the time, oh, Cindy, when do you think all of this will change? When do you think we'll be less repressed about sex? And my point is, you know, that's asking the wrong question. That's asking the question in the passive tense. All of this changes when you and I and everyone else make it change. And I don't wait for things to change. I make them change. I am working every day to change all of this for all of us, as are many other female sex tech founders. There is no underlying swell that makes it magically happen for us. Anything that changes, we make change for ourselves. So whatever changes this year is what each one of us has made change through our own blood, sweat, and tears. You're a very action-oriented person, and I, I feel... The, the power of that, especially during a lockdown moment globally, where people feel like their power has been taken away or they were an action-oriented person, but now that's limited, so they can't act on that full capacity. Um, but I really appreciate you saying that and really embodying that. I think that's the key piece here, the embodiment, which is another big piece of what we're trying to explore on this show. What does it mean to embody sex tech inside first? out? Well, I think what I would say to our listeners is, you know, adversity drives opportunity. The pandemic and the global Black Lives Matter protests have ensured the world will never be the same again. And that is actually very good news, especially for those of us who are never the status quo to begin with. Because it is only when everything breaks down as utterly and completely as it is all around us, that allows new models and new ways of doing things to emerge that never would have emerged otherwise. And so what I say to everybody is there are two dynamics at play here. There is what the pandemic and the protests are making happen as we speak, which is the breakdown of the old world order. And then there is what every single one of us does to seize that moment and leverage it to make what we want to happen happen. So nobody is trapped in lockdown. No matter what your situation is, you are advantaged by the fact that all bets are off. Make that work for you. That's a powerful call to action, Cindy. Thank you. Um, you know, I think to close, I usually ask our guests to leave a message or a question. We oftentimes get messages more than questions, but to leave us with a question that you're maybe even still sitting with and that you would like to ask all of us to ponder beyond um, this conversation. Is there anything else that you can offer around even a question? Because I think when you're in a space like this where there's so much possibility, but maybe it's about unlocking the right question, can you think of one? Um, I would say to your listeners, why are you not doing what you really want to do? Why are you not doing what you want to do? Beautiful. Thank you so much, Cindy. I really appreciate um, just the kind of bold uh, woman that you are, that you have really, I guess, found what it is that you want to be doing, and you are doing it every day against all of these difficult, insurmountable insurmountable limitations, but you are still showing up. And I see that there is a community building and it's very exciting. Um, and even just sharing with a few people in the community that I was going to interview you, they were like, wow, what's sex tech? I'm so curious. What is it? So just know that the curiosity is there. And I have felt so inspired from this conversation. And maybe just to end, can you leave our community? Um, yeah. How do we find you? How do we connect to your work? How do we stay connected to you and really follow all the sky and make love not porn? Sure. So if, if you've liked what I've talked about this evening, please, everybody, um, support Make Love Not Porn. Go to makelovenotporn.tv, sign up. Please take out a subscription. They start at $10 a month, so it's, you know, very affordable. Please consider becoming a Make Love Not Porn star. Um, we would especially like Indonesian Make Love Not Porn stars, Balinese Make Love Not Porn stars, 
we want you to make Indonesia love not porn. Uh, and, and by the way, we have been approached by an Indonesian couple, but they haven't yet submitted a video. So, you know, to, um, we need those videos. Um, obviously, if anybody ever comes across an open-minded investor, give them my email, Cindy at makelovenotporn.com. And then please do follow me and Make Love Not Porn on Instagram, at Cindy Gallup, at Make Love Not Porn. Follow us on Twitter, at Cindy Gallup, at Make Love Not Porn. Our Facebook page uh, for Make Love Not Porn is MLNPTV. I'm Cindy.Gallup on Facebook. And you can also follow and connect with me on LinkedIn as well. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Cindy, for joining us today. And for all of you listening, if you feel uplifted or shifted in any way, please go ahead and follow Cindy um, and stay tuned next week. And make sure if you yeah, want to amplify the story to subscribe, share, and uh, leave us a review. Thank you so much, guys. The Alt Normal. This show is produced by Resonance, the creative practice of Dig, Seed, Grow. If you enjoyed this conversation, please show us the love. You can subscribe, share, or leave a review. We'd be so grateful to help us amplify these stories far and wide. Thanks so much.